still my soul. Hey everybody, this is Phil. Welcome to our Bible study podcast. At the end of this study, please take the time to subscribe to the Glen Springs Church YouTube channel and check out our website. Also, if you live in the Gainesville, Florida area, we would love to have you visit us in person. For now, let's open up the Heavenly Library and may the words of the Holy Spirit sink deep into our hearts. Thanks for joining us. In every Good morning, and welcome. We're going low-tech today, so there'll be no slides up there. (laughs) But uh, we're in Ezra, Nehemiah, and we wrapped up last week, after just reading the first uh, couple verses of chapter 5, so I want to start back there again. 5.1, when the prophets Haggai and the prophet Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in, Jerusalem, or in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, who is over them, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedach, arose and began to rebuild the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. In order for us to get a a better sense of what was happening at this time in the land, we'll look back just a little bit. In 538 is when that Edict of Cyrus was brought into play. You started with the building of the altar, and then the foundation was laid. Huge celebration. You've got all the young people shouting for joy and all this excitement about what we're doing. We're rebuilding. We're we're making this effort. And then you've got that older contingent who actually knew about the temple and had seen it in its glory that are weeping at the same time. And so you've got this dual expression of excitement happening, and then it all comes to a standstill. And that's 538 era. We're now at 520. So for 18 years, nothing's really happened with regard to building the temple. And so as we look at what was the circumstance in the land at that time, we get a much better idea of what was happening by looking at Haggai and a little bit at Zechariah. Haggai is, is two chapters, pretty concise, and God's pretty clear when he's communicating through Haggai as to what he wants and why, he's, why they're in the position they're in. Zechariah is a little more extended and has these visions and all this other drama going on, but each one of them give a clear indication, it's time to build. So let's go to Haggai in chapter 1, and we'll see in the second year of Darius, the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai 
to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, this, this people says, The time has not come, even the time of the house of the Lord, to be built. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai, the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, there's not enough to become drunk. You put on clothes, but no one is warm enough. He who earns, earns wages to put in a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little when you bring it home. I blow it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because my house, which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew, the earth has withheld its produce. I have called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, on all the labor of your hands. By the circumstance that these people find themselves in, God is trying to get their attention. As we look at these description of what's happening, these sound familiar like the curses that we find in Deuteronomy. When you're not being faithful to me, there's going to be a consequence. So these people for 18 years have been pursuing their own lives, building their own homes, living comfortably and ignoring the, the building of the temple. And so God initiates here in the sixth month of the second year of King Darius. We've got four different messages that come through Haggai to the people. This is the first one in the sixth month. He speaks to them again in the seventh month. Oddly enough, in the eighth month, we have Zechariah getting his first revelation and delivering that to the people. And then in the ninth month, Haggai has two more messages that he's delivering to the people. So God has taken and chosen this particular point in time to bring both these prophets to the, to the forefront in order to communicate, it's time, start building. And so we have them, God's getting their attention by the reality of, our life is not working. All the work that we're putting forth, all the effort that we're doing, we're still not being blessed. God is withholding his blessing. And there's a drought on the land. Uh, verse 10, therefore, because of you, oh, sorry about that. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, with all the members remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord, their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent them, and the people showed reverence for the Lord, 
Then Haggai, the messenger of God, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and the spirit of the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their gods, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Remember that language stirred up the, the king in the, when we were in the first chapter, the, the Edict of Cyrus? That same language there, God stirred up the king in order to bring about this action. Then he stirred up the people. So God is initiating this effort here. And so he's getting a response. They're, they're now beginning to recognize the reason we're in the circumstance that we're in is the choices that we've made. And God is basically saying, it's time to, to, to rebuild here. So on the 24th of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, speak now to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and the remnant of the people saying, who is left of you who saw the, the temple in its former glory? And how do you see it now? Does it not seem like nothing in comparison? But now take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage, Joshua, the son of Josadak, the high priest, and all you people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear, for the Lord for thus says the Lord of the host, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and they will come with the wealth of all nations. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine. The gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So you've got those that, that, have, that are looking at what are we building. You have a few of them that are still around that knew the former glory, and they're sort of anticipating this is never going to be the same. And God is assuring them, I am going to be with you. And th this house ultimately is going to have even far greater glory than that which Solomon had built. And so he's encouraging these people, do not fear, I am with you. Now, they've been relatively inactive with regard to this. And if we jump back over to um, the fifth chapter, we're going to find that there's a response from those that are living in the territory with them. They've been called the people of the land before. At one point, 18 years ago, they were declared as the enemies, those that were in governmental positions, basically opposed the building of the temple, and it stopped. And so now we find ourselves 
in uh, verse 3 of chapter 5, at that time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar Bozani and their colleagues came to them and spoke to them thus, who issued you a decree to rebuild this temple, to finish this structure? Then we told them accordingly what the names of the men who were reconstructing this building. But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until a report could come to Darius, and then a written reply be returned concerning it. So you've got the people of Israel have been living their lives, and they've been in conjunction with all the other people of the land. Everything's pretty much static. Nobody's making any waves. Life is going on. And all of a sudden, the people of Israel are stirred up to action. And so all the the other people that are living in the territory, they're going to say, hey, wait a minute. What's going on? Why are you doing this at this point in time? And so basically, there's a challenge set forth for the people. They don't slow down. They don't stop. They have this encouragement, which is coming. It says in the sixth month, the initial message comes. In the seventh month, once again, Haggai has a message. In the ninth month, he's got two more messages that come through. And in the eighth month, we got Zechariah that begins to have his prophetic messages. And so you've got God really spurring these people and stirring them up with these prophets that he's placed right in their midst with a very clear message. Time to move forward. Get to work. Um, So in verse 6, this is a copy of the letter which Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shes Bozani and his colleagues official who were beyond the river sent to King Darius. It's a fairly protracted letter, and we're not going to read it all. Um, just to Darius the king, all peace. Let it be known, the king, that we have gone to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, which is being built with huge stones and beams are being laid in the walls. This work is going on with great care and succeeding in their hands. Basically, they go on and they say, we ask them, who are these people doing this? And by what decree and by what order were you brought there? Now, Tatanai actually includes the response that Zerubbabel and Joshua have given him as far as why they're doing what they're doing. Verse 11, thus they answered, We are the servants of the God of heaven, and we are building the temple that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. Tatanai is actually including this in the the missive, in the document that he's sending to King Darius. But because our fathers had provoked the God of heaven to wrath, he gave them into the hands of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this temple and deported the people to Babylon. However, in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, King Cyrus issued a decree to rebuild this house and also the gold and silver utensils of the house, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple in Jerusalem and brought them to the temple in Babylon. These King Cyrus took from the temple of Babylon and they were given to those 
whose name was Shesbazar, whom he had appointed. So Tatanai is actually including this response that he'd gotten from the people. Why are you doing it? By what command or what edict? They reference back to 18 years earlier and say, Cyrus said this. Tatanai includes this. And I'm, I'm, I'm trying to miss, I'm kind of mystified. If Tatanai's purpose was, I want to stop this from happening, why do you think he might include this information? He's basically giving some support as to why they're doing what they're doing. Anybody got any ideas why that might be happening? Cyrus is no longer the king. It's been 18 years. We've got a a lot of circumstance. One of the things that occurred to me was when we talk about this blight on the land, do you think that the only people that were suffering in this famine were the Jews? Do you think that perhaps everybody that was on the other side of the river might have been suffering because God was basically placing this judgment on the land, on the mountains, on the cattle, on the people? And so Tatanai, even though he might think we want to stop this, his people are suffering too. I don't think that God just exclusively put a famine on Israel. The famine was throughout the land. And any time those people, even though they didn't worship the one true God, they recognized we got to do something. We've got to appease the gods, as it were. And so, you know, he probably has some motivation. Let's try to figure out something. Let's try to resolve this. I just want to know for, for certain. And so it's an odd sort of circumstance, kind of hard to figure out why would you include this if your intention was to stop the building. Um, in verse 15, he said to them, no, we'll, go, we'll skip that. It's about the uh, 16. Then that Shezbazar came and laid the foundation of the house of God in Jerusalem And from then until now, it has been under construction and not yet completed. Really wasn't much being done for those 18 years in between. And now, if it please the king, let a search be conducted in the king's treasure house, which is there in Babylon. If it be that a decree was issued by King Cyrus to rebuild this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send us his decision in this matter. So... Really, he's basically putting forth the appeal. Let's have a confirmation that there was such an edict. Let's have a confirmation. Zerubbabel and Joshua have said, this is what we're doing, and this is why we're doing it, and he's referring this historical situation. And Tatanai says, there's no control over here. (laughs) Somebody's got to have a command with regard to this. So as we come to chapter 6, then we've got uh, the issue coming before Darius. Then King Darius issues a decree, and a search was made in all the archives where the treasures were stored in Babylon. In Ekbatana, 
in the fortress, which is in the province of Medea, the scroll was found where it was written as follows. Memorandum. In the first year of King Cyrus, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of the God of Jerusalem. Let the temple, the place where sacrifices are offered, be rebuilt. Let its foundations be retained. Its height, 60 cubits. Its width, 60 cubits. With three layers of huge stones and one layer of timbers. And let the cost be paid from the royal treasury. Also... Let the gold and silver utensils of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be returned and brought to their places in the temple in Jerusalem, and you shall put them in the house of their God. We have a confirmation. So the, the, the correspondence that came from Tatanai, the research is done, the confirmation is there. Darius now has a copy of the edict, which is actually more elaborate than the first, first one we saw. It gives us dimensions as to how big this temple is going to be. As I spoke before, the first section of the book, all the way up till the middle of uh, chapter 4 or so, was in Hebrew. And then it switches to Aramaic. And so this is the Aramaic translation of the edict. The first edict we saw was written in Hebrew as it was brought forth by Ezra or whoever recorded this initial portion of the, of the book. Then this portion is in Aramaic. So verse 6, now, therefore, Tantani, the governor of the province beyond the river, his, his buddies, the officials, um, this is coming back from... Cyrus, keep away from there. Leave this work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house on its site. Moreover, I issue a decree concerning what you are to do for these elders of Judah in rebuilding the house of God. The full cost is to be paid to these people from the royal treasuries out of the taxes of the provinces beyond the river, and that without delay. Whatever is needed, both young bulls, rams, lambs, for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, and wheat, salt, wine, and anointing oils, as the priests in Jerusalem request it, is to be given to them daily without fail, that they may offer acceptable sacrifices to the God of heaven, and pray for the life of the king and his sons. And I issue a decree that any man who violates this edict, a timber will be drawn from his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a refuge heap on account of this. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or purse people who attempts to change it so as to destroy this house of God in Jerusalem. I, Darius, have issued this decree. Let it be carried out with all diligence. You've got these people who are basically just living their lives, and God comes in and intervenes. Their lives have not been good. They've not been experiencing the blessings that God has intended for them, and it's because they've neglected 
what he has purposed them to do. And so he brings these prophets, brings the message forth. He stirs forth the spirits of these leaders and the people. And then he gets this confirmation from the king, the ruler of the whole thing, so that God is saying, it's time, let's move it forward. So we're, we're there. Darius has made this declaration. And my sense is nobody's going to try to challenge this. He's made it pretty clear. Anybody in opposition is going to feel my wrath, as it were. Verse 13, then Tatanai, the governor of the prophets beyond the river, and all his colleagues... Um, verse 14, and the elders of the Jews were successful in building through the, prophet, the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Edo. So all these things worked together. God was working clearly through these prophets and bringing forth this message. And when God speaks, those that are inclined to listen, their spirits will be stirred up. They will begin to divine what it is God wants. And we have a clear message to us. What is God's intention for us? And when our life circumstance is not going, we're not experiencing the blessing of God, maybe we need to stop and begin to let his words stir us up in order to recognize what it is his purpose is and how he would like that work to be brought forth. He really put the choice on the hands of the people. You make a choice here, and they responded, and we have then this completion. And they finished the building according to the command of God, the God of Israel, and the decree of Cyrus, Darius and Artaxerxes, king of, Pes- of Persia. Verse 15, this temple was completed on the third day of the month of Adar. In, it was the sixth year of the reign of King Darius. So I was saying last week it, was, it took them five years to complete. It actually took them four years. They started in the second year of Darius, and they completed in the sixth year of Darius. So now we have a temple. They have been operating that whole temple worship system without a building. But now they have the structure, and God has promised that he is going to be with them through these prophets and and, and given them all this encouragement. Do not fear. And not only that, he's foreshadowed that something greater is going to be coming. Something greater, this temple is going to find far exceed that the glory of the temple that was here that Solomon had built. So now we've got them, the sons of Israel, the priests in verse 16, and the Levites and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of the house with joy. They have this huge offering. And now we've got, it was almost 18 years since they celebrated the foundation. Now it's 18 years plus four years. So we're at about 22 years for them to have finished what God intended 
to happen as far as the building of the temple, the completion of that work. And so that's where we are right now. There's an excitement about the land. And uh, then in verse 19, um, well, verse 18, then they appointed the priests to their divisions and the Levites to their orders for the service of God in Jerusalem, as was written in the book of Moses. They have the temple. They have the servants. They're appointed to do their, their assigned tasks. And they're in a position now that they're eligible for the blessings that God intends for them to have as his people. Verse 19, the exiles observed the Passover on the 14th of the first month, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were pure. Then they slaughtered the Passover lamb for the exiles, both for their brothers, the priests, and for themselves, the sons of Israel who returned from exile, and all those who had separated themselves from the impurity of the nations of the land to join them to seek the Lord of Israel ate the Passover supper. So we've got these two sets of people once again. We've got those that actually came back from the exile to the land. They've numbered in, in at least one reckoning, and, and again, we have a, a second accounting of 42,000 or so people. But as I referenced in the past, there were still Israelites who were living in the land, who were a part of that which was there when most of the people were taken away. And what was planted in their midst then were all these other nations. And so instead of them basically saying, you weren't part of this group that came back, those that had then said, we're going to separate ourselves from those foreign influences, we're going to join, and they're all participating together. We've got a greater unity happening here as a result. The people that had been there, that had been associated with the other cultures, the other peoples, they're then have abandoned those allegiances, and they've joined with them, and they're all celebrating together. So we've got this very dramatic circumstance which is bringing forth in order to unite these people once again and then to receive the blessings that God fully intended for them to have as his people. God's intention the whole time he was working with the nation of Israel was that they would be a shining light, that all nations might know that he is the one true God. And so they're, they're now... Celebrating together, in verse 22, and they observed the Feast of Unleavened Bread for seven days with joy, for the Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Whew. That's quite a circumstance for what, what they're doing. We've made it through chapter 5 and 6. And I just want to briefly go 
into the start of chapter 7 because we've got a time frame difference here. We started in 538 with, this, with the Edict of Cyrus. We completed the temple in 515. And now as we go from the end of chapter 6 to the start of chapter 7, we're going to be at 458. So we're somewhere about 55 years after the completion of the temple that we then have this next point in time. So as, as I said at the beginning, Ezra is taking up almost a, an entire century of history as we look from the start to the very end of Nehemiah. This was a single book to start with. And so as we're looking at this, now we see that um, chapter 7, now after these things, in the reign of Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, there went up Ezra, the son of Sariah. We've got a whole bunch of sons here, and we're going to get into that first thing next week, the significance of that. Verse 6, this Ezra went up from Babylon. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses, which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given, and the king granted him all he requested because the hand of the Lord was upon him. Some of the sons of Israel, some of the priests, the Levites, the singers, the gatekeepers, the temple service went up to Jerusalem in the seventh year of King Artaxerxes. Okay, so when I started this, we had what, what I had indicated as three movements that we're going to cycle through. The first movement was that initial grouping of exiles that were going to rebuild the temple. And that now has been completed. What we're doing is we're going into the second movement right here where we have Ezra. And the, the, what's significant about what Ezra is doing and about the qualifications that he just talked about was to, if you're talking about rebuilding the temple in the first movement, the second movement then, I guess I can go this way, the second movement <laughs> would be that we're going to now rebuild the Torah, the word of God. We're going to bring that word of God to the people. We're going to basically... Uh, transform them as a people through this word. They now have the building. They now have the sacrifice going. And now God is going to send this person in who's going to bring them this word of God. And he's going to be demonstrating this. Each of these movements, we're going to find challenges that arise for this leadership. Obviously, there was resistance to the building of the temple. In this one, we're going to find that there's, a, there's problems within the people as far as their spiritual lives. The Lord is in his holy temple. Again, thanks for listening. If you live in North Central Florida or you're just passing through, we would love to have you visit us at the Glen Springs Road Church of Christ. Also, check out our website, glenspringschurch.com. 
You can learn more about our church family and how to contact us. Until next time, God bless. Keep silence, people.